I'd like to begin message two by giving a little explanation of how these four messages are related to the general subject so that we cannot try to, uh, you could say, organize the four messages in some kind of particular sequence or in some system. So let me explain. The general subject, living a Christian life at the end of the present age. I would like to consider that being like the hub of a wheel. So it is the holding center. And the topics, the subjects of the four messages are four spokes connected to the hub, then reaching out to the rim. It would actually take 15 or 20 messages at least to cover all the aspects of living a Christian life at the end of the age, as the consummation of the age is approaching, as we're preparing for the end of this age and the beginning of another age. But we work, understandably, within space and time limitations. And so the hub of the wheel, using this metaphor, that's the general subject. And the four messages are major points functioning as spokes connected to the hub. So, so we should not try to arrange the spokes together to form a certain structure. Rather, we view each one in relation to the hub. And so the first message was on living a Christian life under the government of God. And I believe the basic aspects of that are at least somewhat clear, that we are living in our Christian life and in the church life, the house of God, under the divine government of God. That is one spoke. Now we come to a very different subject in message two. Looking away unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So here, we have a very different matter from being conscious of living under uh, God's government and living to righteousness as the reproduction of Christ as the one who lives such a life. 
Rather, we're talking about a life of looking away. And we're looking away unto Jesus. And we'll see when we look at the verses in Hebrews 12, that we're seeing Jesus in his ascension and enthronement at the right hand of God. And even more specific, we see him as the author and perfecter of our faith. But this experience and way of living, of looking away unto Jesus, that is in Hebrews 12, 2. That is related intrinsically to something toward the end of verse 1, which says, Run with endurance the race which is set before us. So running the race set before us is the context for our looking away unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. I believe we all will immediately recognize mentioning of Paul's last words to Timothy. He said certain things to his spiritual child, Timothy, clearly and succinctly. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished the course. Now, by a course, I'm not trying to make a pun. He's not talking about a class he took to get more education. It is like a measured out distance of a race or of a long trip or a journey. And this is a very important concept even more, I would say, an aspect of the Christian life that I sincerely believe is not given sufficient attention. In Acts chapter 20, verse 24, as part of his final word, Paul's final word, to the elders in Ephesus, who had gathered to meet him at Miletus. He testified many things about his three years with them in Ephesus. And he indicated he knows that ahead of him are dangerous things, trials. Who knows what they will be? But in verse 24, he said, I do not count my soul life as, as being precious to myself that I may finish my course 
and the ministry I have received from the Lord. When Paul says, my course, he is referring to the race, the journey that was appointed to him by God from the very day he was saved. And in 1 Corinthians, he speaks of running this race and speaking to others concerning God's interests. Then he himself is disqualified at the end. So he, throughout his Christian life, was on a journey, uh, a race, a course measured out to him. And this thought, the more we dwell on it, I find the more precious and motivating it is. Brother Nee in the collected works, has a message entitled Running the Race Set Before Us, in which he lays down the principles of this race, this course. And then elsewhere, it might be in volume 10, he gives a message on the last part of the journey so these three words, as I'm using them, according to New Testament usage, they're really synonyms. Journey, race, course. And Brother Nee points out that the last part of the journey is the most difficult part. That is when the enemy is attacking the most, doing his best to cause us to give up, then passively drift. Then Brother Nee helps us to see, and I'm referring to him because he's the source of interpreting this part of the word. I fully agree with him when he says, every believer has a course, a journey, a portion in a race measured out to him. Now, when we say race, we have to clear our mind of competition. We're not in competition with other runners. The race is the course, it's the journey. And a characteristic, a major characteristic of overcomers is that they finish the course. And we can only know, I'm not trying to be clever, we can only know that we have finished the course when we have actually finished the course. 
And that indicates, since overcomers are those who finish the course, we cannot know if we're an overcomer or not unless and until we finish the course. So here in, in, in Hebrews 12, Paul now, writing toward the end of his journey, near the end, this marvelous, profound book of Hebrews, he has just spoken at length about faith and the testimonies of so many that preceded us who took the way of faith and now we are here. And we all have a course, a race. We need to run with endurance the race which is set before us. The race set before us. This is not a trip according to our choice, our preference. It is set before us by the sovereign God himself. And here I need to share something backed by much feeling and concern. Vast numbers of believers, I would say just guessing, Estimating more than 90 or 95 percent never had the thought that there's a course, a race set before them by God. And that their responsibility to the Lord during their lifetime on earth as believers is to run this course and to finish the course. Very few even inquire of the Lord. Very few have been instructed to do this. Now you have consecrated, <clears throat> you've consecrated your being, everything and everyone related to you your future. Now you need to inquire what is in God's heart concerning you? What is his will as applied to you? And now in, in particular, what is my course? There is a big, a big difference between ending our life and finishing the course. When a dear believer, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> Mr. Flynn clearing up. When a dear believer passes away, that going to be with the Lord doesn't necessarily mean that that dear one finished the course. We know from the parable 
of the virgins, the prudent and the foolish, concerning getting oil in their vessels. That the prudent ones use the time measured to them to gain oil in their vessels. The others did not. And there is a false teaching taken for granted and pervading Christianity that death solves all problems. No matter what your life has been, how you have conducted yourself, when you die, you go to heaven, you're completely sanctified. This is simply false to the uttermost. We're not only redeemed and regenerated, we need to grow to full maturity and be perfected ultimately for the wife of the redeeming God, the new Jerusalem. And surely before the Lord as one of the believers, I don't want my life to end without my finishing the course. There's a course set before us, the race set before us. And if we are here as believers, consecrated to the Lord, then we should know this. We should be interested in what is this race and what is the goal of the race. Well, Paul reveals the goal in 2 Timothy 4. It's the crown of righteousness. It's the kingdom as a reward. It's being invited to the wedding feast. It's being an overcomer, the first fruits or the man-child. We are running a race toward the kingdom. And if we are diligent and persevering and enduring to run the race, no matter what happens, no matter how many times we fall, we get up and keep going. We are running with that goal in view. Paul had that in Philippians 3. And he said, I have not arrived. I'm pressing on. So we need to consider Hebrews 12, 2 in light of the race set before us. And in order to run with endurance the race set before us, we need to learn to look away. This needs to become a practice, an exercise. And we look away from, and we look away unto Jesus as the author and perfecter of our faith. So now we can go through the outline in the time remaining 
uh, maybe about 50 minutes or so, to just go step by step, beginning with point one, God's economy is in faith. This is 1 Timothy 1.4. God's economy is his plan and arrangement to dispense himself into his redeemed, regenerated people as their life and their life supply in order to produce through them the church as the body of Christ, the corporate expression of the triune God. So God's economy is his arrangement to accomplish his will and to fulfill his purpose. And this economy in the New Testament is absolutely a matter of faith and is in faith. And faith when experientially understood, on one side means, I can't do this. I can't be this. I can't bear this. We need to realize we can't. That's what Abraham had to learn. The Lord God in Christ as the Spirit wants to be the one doing in us what we can't. And our part is simply to believe into him, to be one with him, to receive his dispensing through faith. I'm thinking of the prayer in Ephesians 3, we all know, concerning Christ, making his home in our heart. How? Through faith. If we study this matter of faith and the Christian life in the New Testament, we will read verses that say, we live by faith. We stand by faith. We walk by faith. We pray in faith. We speak with the spirit of faith. This needs to impress us. Self-effort, natural ability, a strong self or character are useless. When we rely on that, faith is gone. When it was virtually impossible for Abraham and Sarah to have a son, that's when God, through faith, came in and brought forth Isaac. Now, the subpoints Faith is the unique way for God to carry out his New Testament economy with man. This is his unique way faith. Faith is the principle by which God deals with his people in the New Testament. 
soon will come to the matter of the author and perfecter of faith. The Lord is the initiator, the source, the origin of our faith. But throughout the course, the race that we're running, our faith not only needs or should, must be developed. At the end of a parable in Luke 18 about a widow who was being abused by an opponent, she cries out to a judge who doesn't care. And the Lord uses that parable to indicate at the end of the age, we need to have the kind of faith that prays to God even if for a while it seems he doesn't hear. He doesn't act. Then in Luke seventeen eight, the Lord said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? The overcomers must have a highly developed faith. So in order to develop this faith, the Lord will deal with us according to faith as the principle. We need to live the Christian life by faith. There being no trust in the flesh, the natural life, the self, our knowledge, our gifts, our experience. Nothing. We only trust in God. See, the faith of Jesus Christ in us becomes the faith by which we believe in him. And these verses here, when you study them with the notes, will show you what we mean by the faith of Jesus Christ. It is Christ himself as our faith. Christ himself as the believing ability. So he enters into us and his faith and he himself as faith becomes our ability to believe. Our faith. That's why we need to look away unto him. We're looking away to the Lord in glory. His face is radiant. He's shining. That shining infuses the capacity to believe, to have faith. This is how faith is produced in us. Abraham is the pattern. The God of glory appeared to him. Glory is God expressed. God shines himself into us. That shining brings in the element of faith and becomes our ability to believe. D, faith is the divine requirement for the overcomers to meet Christ in his triumphant return 
and to receive the reward of the kingdom. And here we have Luke 18.8. And the two verses from Hebrews referring to faith. When the Son of Man comes, I refer again, will he find faith on the earth? Right now, as the Lord on the throne, with his eyes ranging all over the earth, knowing our inward parts and our heart, as he told the church in Thyatira, can he say, I find faith there. I find faith in that sister. Humanly speaking, she's older now. She's weaker now. But her love is more developed now. Her spirit, her inner man is much stronger now. And she has the faith. No matter what the circumstances are. Whether God is silent or hidden or not, she just keeps praying. We cannot pretend to have what we do not have before God, to pretend what we are, to pretend that we are something that we're not. We want to be among those who when the Lord comes in his triumphant return, with the kingdom as a reward, the living overcomers who are about to be raptured, they will have a developed faith. Now we come to a section on the author of faith and another on the perfecter of faith. Jesus is the author of faith the originator, the inaugurator, the source, and the cause of faith. Human beings in their natural life are able to believe some of the strangest things, just incredible things. Just millions and millions of American citizens blindly, naively believe things that are spoken on the big TV networks. No thoughtful consideration. There is one uh, preacher or minister, he believes the new Jerusalem will be a space station circulating around the earth. I read this. Someone else said and wrote what he believes about the new Jerusalem. It is a gigantic period, a pyramid, a gigantic pyramid that has room in it and apartments in it for 20 billion people. 
But you present to them the truth that the new Jerusalem is the wife, the bride of the Lamb, and therefore must be a person. They can't take it in. They believe nonsense. We don't just walk around believing naively. We believe the truth. We believe in God. We want the genuine faith. Paul, in writing to Timothy, and also elsewhere, he used this expression, unfeigned faith. He said, unfeigned faith was in your mother and in your grandmother, and it's also in you. So feign, F-E-I-G-N, means to pretend, to act as if you have something. It's fake. It's not the real thing. The real faith, we may use this illustration, again from Brother Nee, it's like a little flame flickering within us. In our spirit is the God-given faith, the ability to believe. A, we need to look away unto Jesus with undivided attention by turning away from every other object. One strategy of the enemy, and he's got a particular one for each of us, is to distract us, to get us to look away and pay attention to so many things other than Jesus. For some that are very subjective believers, they're given to introspection, they're just constantly looking at their condition. at themselves, analyzing themselves. Other times, we just look with fixed attention to the environment as if there's nothing else. Well, the environment in the United States and many cities right now is chaotic. It's filled with violence, lawlessness, rebellion, along with the pandemic. If we just look at this and are fixated on this or anything that, op- that usurps our attention, faith, faith sinks. Remember, we all know the story The disciples are in the boat going across the sea at night. The Lord comes walking on the sea. Eventually, he made himself known. And Peter uttered a very good word. He said, Lord, speak the word and I will come to you. He wasn't presumptuous. He didn't get out of the boat and try to stand on the water and walk. He knew 
If the Lord spoke the word, the faith would be there. And the Lord spoke. So Peter got out of the boat. And the two of them were walking on the water for a while. Then what? Peter looked away from the Lord. Oh, the wind is gusting. And the more he looked at that, he began to sink. So this is something we learn by the Lord's training, by our accumulated experiences, by the discipline of the Spirit. Look away. Oh, look away. With undivided attention, by turning away. This is something we need to do. If we are passive, the enemy will turn us away to some distracting thing. We need to be exercised, exercising our spirit with our will, make a decision. I will look away unto Jesus. I will turn away from this. In actuality, this is something we're all learning. We look away to him, then we're distracted. Or we're distracted by something that stimulates us, that we like, that we enjoy. And then inwardly, we realize, no, no, I must turn back from the Lord. And we turn back. And then on the other side, the more we look away unto him and are infused and are lifted out of ourselves, the more we are motivated to just gaze at him. Look at Jesus on the throne. That's our destination. B, the faith of the believers is actually not their own faith, but Christ entering into them to be their faith. What a precious point. It's so clear, isn't it? One, the faith by which we are saved is the precious faith that we have received from the Lord. It is God allotted faith. Second Peter 1 1. It's a gift. Even right now, and I include myself, let us open to receive more of the gift. The gift of faith, precious faith. Lord, impart more faith into all of us until it directs every aspect of our life. Two, when we look away unto Jesus, he as the life-giving spirit transfuses us with himself, his believing element. So when we look away, to whom are we looking away? To the glorified Jesus. Here, 2 Corinthians 3.18 may help us grasp this. With unveiled face, we behold and reflect 
the glory of the Lord. Then you read the next chapter, verses 4 through 6. Then you will see, I think in verse 6, the glory of God is in the face of Jesus Christ. So when we turn our heart to the Lord and the veil is lifted from our heart, we can behold the glory of the Lord by beholding the face of Christ in our spirit. And this glory shines the element of faith into us. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, it activates the spiritual metabolism that is transforming us from glory to glory. In Hebrews 12, this motivates us, energizes us, gives us the endurance, the determination to run the race set before us. Then in C, we have some more uh, description and definition and application of what faith is. C, faith is the substantiating ability that issues from the infusion of the divine element into our spirit through the word of God. It is by such faith that we are able to substantiate, give substance to the things unseen or hoped for. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, that's the definition of faith. We are, as Peter describes in 1 Peter 1, he said, we have not seen him but we believe in him. We have not seen him, but we love him. We are all like this. The Lord did this in all of us. We love with our whole being a person we've never seen. We believe in one and into one whom we have never seen. Because the age in which we're in is the age of mystery and the age of faith. And now we rejoice, as Peter says, with joy unspeakable and certain unseen things, not imaginary things, but divinely real things that are unseen, we substantiate by faith. And things we hope for, not generated by our own heart, but hope related to God's purpose and economy. Faith substantiates the hope. And one main hope we have now is in Colossians 1.27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. When our spirit of faith is the, or, is the organ whereby we substantiate everything in the unseen world 
into us. So now we have the spirit of faith because faith, which is Christ himself, is our believing ability, is in our spirit. Little a, we need to exercise our spirit of faith, our mingled spirit, to believe and to speak the things what we have experienced of the Lord. We are experiencing an unseen person. We have not seen our spirit. We haven't seen the one we're experiencing. But it's real. Little b, faith is in our spirit, which is mingled with the Holy Spirit, not in our mind. So if we stay in the mind, if I stay in my mind for any length of time, I can be an atheist for a period of time. You're just in your mind. How can there be a God who's self-existing? Everything has to be created then the mind goes on and on and the doubts rise up and conquer us. But when we set our mind on the spirit and exercise the spirit of faith, we fulfill Hebrews 11.6. We believe that God is. I can't explain how he can be ever existing and self-existing, but he is I am. I believe in I am. Two, we do not look at the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. So I've been emphasizing from Hebrews 12 to look away unto Jesus, but we don't see him physically, but there's a spiritual seeing. And we're substantiating this marvelous, glorious, unseen person. We do not look at the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. The things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are not seen are eternal. This is just a fact. Will we spend time and energy looking at temporal things? The eyes are never satisfied with looking at these things. Verses prove this. They're never satisfied. Because there's a longing in the soul through the eyes. We are only satisfied when we look away to the unseen things and behold our wonderful Lord. Small a, the Christian life is a life of things unseen. When the age changes, the age of mystery will be over. And everything will be manifest. 
the Lord will be seen to the overcomers as the morning star, to all the believers and to the people on earth, the son of righteousness. He will visibly be on his throne in Jerusalem. That will be the age of the manifestation of the kingdom. But now everything is unseen. B, the degradation of the church is the degradation from unseen things to seen things. And this is just proved by the history of Christianity as a system by so many things taking place in the religious world today, the focus on seen things. The more degradation, the more preoccupation with seen things. The more looking at seen things, the more degradation there is. But C says the Lord's recovery is to recover his church from things seen to things unseen. So we're in this process. And a process means a gradual but consistent and persistent development. And everyone in the real church life, in the Lord's recovery, should be in this process. We come just as we are, with whatever our background was, in Christianity or in the world, and now we're being recovered from the seen things to the things unseen. Three, faith assures us of the things not seen, convincing us of what we do not see. So, certain intellectuals, college professors, aggressive atheists, think we're fools. We believe in something that doesn't exist. There's no point in arguing with them. One of the leading atheists in the philosophical world, and he was in the UK, highly regarded, toward the very end of his life, he came to believe in God. I don't think he believed in Christ. But he testified at the end, there is God, there is God. And so there's the assurance in us. We don't have to try to convince ourselves to stir up something. There will be a deep assurance. So I can testify to an atheist in a respectful conversation I don't just believe that God is. I know him. I know the I am. He is real. 
His being unseen is what makes him so real to me. But I don't go around believing strange things. Never. For this is the most reasonable thing I've ever done, is to believe that God is. And that's point D. Faith is to believe that God is. Everything else exists through acts of creation. Only God is. Only God is self-existing. For anyone who's interested, there's a theological term for this. Aseity. A-S-E-I-T-Y. It just means self-existing. Without a cause. The human mind can't grasp this. Everything has a cause. Our mind is structured that way. Everything does. But God is. And the only way to please God is to believe that he is. And our testimony to an unbelieving, ungodly generation is God is. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, to make God happy. At the great white throne, at which time, this is Revelation 20 at the end, all the dead unbelievers will be resurrected and be brought to the great white throne for judgment. There will be a record of their works, how they lived. But the one requirement will be, or the one measure of judgment will be, you did not believe in Christ, the Son of the living God. You did not believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. And the unique requirement of God on the human race is to believe. Only believing is pleasing to him. Not believing, a willful act of not believing. And now I would say not only a willful act, it's a foolish act. There are verses in the Psalms that says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And I'm not trying to stir up negative feelings in people outside of us. I certainly respect the brilliant minds in Oxford and Cambridge. Even geniuses there. The best universe, among the best universities in the whole world. But many of them are fools. They're fools. In their brilliance, in their ingenuity, they say in their heart, there's no God. And one day, They will meet God. I like to point out 
that there are no dead atheists. One of the most aggressive atheists among the English philosophers in the last century was a man named Ayer, A-Y-E-R. And when one British author, Somerset Maugham, was dying, he was tempted to believe that there's God. And A.J. Ayer came to his bedside to argue him to stay an atheist. But as soon as atheists die, they know there's a God. And right now, this man and all the other fools that preceded him, they're in a place and they know there's God. And they know that others are going to join them there. They're fools. I'm not going to walk up to, I'm not going to visit Cambridge and walk up to someone and say, you're a fool. I'm speaking in principle. And if they say we are idiots, we're silly, we're deceived, we're ignorant, we're anti-science, say what they want. I believe God. We believe God. He is the author. The Lord is the author of our faith. So point two, we quote part of Hebrews 11.6 He who comes forward to God must believe that he is. So this expression, come forward, occurs in Hebrews a number of times. Come forward with boldness to the throne of grace. In our Christian life, we should come forward to God The enemy will try to hinder us. We might have had a failure or we're just conscious of our condition. On the one hand, the enemy accuses us before God. On the other hand, he slanders God to us. He lies. He says, God is angry at you. Don't try to have a time now in the morning after what happened yesterday. He's going to deal with you in a bad way. That's a lie. We come forward to God by simple faith. We believe that he is. And what he is, he is in Christ, who is our Savior, our Redeemer, the reality of the offerings, our Shepherd, Everything we need, we come forward believing. Now, Romans 3, Jesus is the perfecter, the finisher, the completer of our faith. And before I go through the subpoints, I want to make this comment that one aspect or one way of describing the church life is that we're God's family, a large family. And in human families, 
It was often the grandparents, the parents, the grandchildren. In some cases, great-grandparents, grandparents, parents, the children. It's just normal that the people, boys and girls, men and women in a family, are at different stages of development. The principle is the same now in the household of God. Some are just beginning their journey through faith. And the saints need and the churches need older, more experienced brothers and sisters who manifest a developing and developed faith. I remember one time, one of the Thursdays for many years, I worked with Brother Lee on the life studies. We took a break for tea and something negative was happening, opposing us, and I was troubled. And Sister Lee immediately spoke to me. Brother, the heavens rule. She spoke in faith. Her faith brought me out of my worry, my concern, my anxiety. So we are all in this process. And the process is part of the race. But we're not competing with one another. Rather, we are encouraging one another. A, as we look away into Jesus continually, he will finish and complete the faith that we need for the running of the heavenly race. He knows what we need. I mentioned at the beginning of this word, Brother Nee's message on the hardest part of the journey. And he was using as an illustration that night journey in the boat with the disciples. And the closer they got to the end, the stronger was the resistance. So things will not be easier. They will be more difficult. But the faith will be developed, finished and completed. The Lord knows what we need at any given time. There's a verse in the last chapter of Micah that means much to me. And it goes like this. Do not rejoice against me, O my enemy. For when I fall, I shall rise again. And when I am in darkness, the Lord will be light to me. So I feel I can share this. I've been running this race for a long time. And I have fallen, stumbled and fallen. I don't know how many times. And I would say the Lord doesn't even know because when they involved failures, he forgave me when I repented. So we just get up. We don't quit. We look away and keep running. Don't stop. Just keep going. The Lord, we will not be relying on our energy, on our perseverance, on our endurance. We're running with endurance 
but endurance is Christ. B, when we look away unto him, he ministers heaven, life, and strength to us, transfusing and infusing us with all that he is so that we may be able to run the heavenly race and live a heavenly life on earth. This is the only way we can run the race. There's no other way. Paul kept the faith, objectively and subjectively. He fought the good fight. It was the faith that enabled him to finish the course. Brother Nee, Brother Lee, Sister Lee, other saints we know, they didn't just pass away. They finished the course. We all should want to finish the course. And I'm being honest with you. The further we go, the more obstacles there will be, the more difficulty there, difficulties there will be. Yes, more things to look away from. We look away into Jesus. He infuses us with the faith that we need right in this situation. I believe that right now some saints hearing this are in very difficult situations or have passed through painful, even heart-rending, heart-breaking situations. And the Lord knows you need to keep running and you need a particular dose of faith infused into you right now Our Lord knows what we need when we look away unto him. He infuses into us the faith we need for this prayer, for this day, for this circumstance, and for this matter. This is so real. See, as believers, we need to exercise, experience, sorry, experience the perfecting and developing of our faith through contacting the Lord in the midst of our circumstances. In the midst. Don't listen to the enemy or your natural feelings. Well, I'll just wait till it's over. Wait till I get through. No. In the midst. Even with tears. Even with times you hardly know what to say. You turn, you contact, and faith is infused in the midst of all circumstances. The recovery throughout the whole earth, without exception, we're in very difficult circumstances. Let us contact the Lord, the perfecter of our faith, in the midst of, listen, all circumstances. D, 
We all have the same faith in quality, but the quantity of faith we have depends on how much we contact the living God and have him increased in us. So Hebrews, uh, Romans 12.3 says we should not think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think but according to the measure of faith. I've known of four persons who believed concerning themselves that they were the one successor of our brother Witness Lee. They believed such strange things, thinking so highly of themselves. And they did not have the faith to back it up because that's not what they were. One, faith is the in the progressing stage comes through our contacting the triune God who is faith to us. It's so simple. Contact. How good to have the materials for a holy word for morning revival. To really have a revival means we contact God. Not just do something. We contact him. Two, the way to receive such a faith is to contact its source, the Lord, the process and consummated triune God by calling on him, praying to him, and pray reading his word. So many times we may not know What to say to the Lord, what to pray, what to do. Just come to the word and simultaneously come to the Lord. Find words, eat them, and something will happen within your heart. The joy, the gladness will be there. The faith will be there. Three, when we contact the Lord, he is overflowing within us. And there is a mutuality of faith among us. We are encouraged through the faith that is in one another. How sweet is this point? We're not in rivalry. We're not envious. We're not competing. Your faith in your present situation ministers to me. It encourages me. This is mutuality. Paul wrote about this in Romans 1.12. We will be encouraged by the faith that's in one another. We need one another. We're not heroes here. Overcomers have a personal course to run but they do it in the context of the body. And they need the other runners who are also running their course. And our mutual faith encourages all. E, our regenerated spirit, our spirit of faith, is the victory that overcomes the Satan-organized and Satan-usurped world. 1 John 5, 4. 
This is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. How we need this, wherever we are, to overcome the world. We don't have to be mighty heroes. We simply are believers. Our faith in the victorious Christ, the Lord of heaven and earth, is sufficient for us to overcome the world. Now the last point, the unlimited power of faith motivates us to follow the Lord, suffer for him, risk our lives, and be one sent for the carrying out of God's eternal economy. I read this again, because I see in my copy some typos I'll need to fix and send Brother Joe an updated copy, which you'll have by now. But I'm just letting you know what I'm doing here. The unlimited power of faith motivates us to follow the Lord. The faith, the power of faith, enables us to suffer for him when necessary to risk our lives, to be one sent by the Lord for carrying out God's eternal economy. So, brothers and sisters, wherever we are in this development of our faith, let's simply come to the Lord, the source of faith, the author and perfecter of faith. Turn away from things. Turn unto him and receive a fresh infusion of faith. And our faith will be developed, will be perfected. And by this faith, I say this in hope, a hope to be substantiated by faith. One day, we all will be able to say, I finished the course.